Welcome to episode number 64, Coping Mechanisms and You Are Enough. I'm your host, Damon Soka. Now, despite our best efforts at management of mental illness, there comes a time when we will have a problematic episode. Management does not mean that life stresses and strains won't converge on a moment of time, and you will find yourself descending into those depressive or anxious moments. It is simply part of the illness and that maddening cycle we pass through. No one enjoys these moments. They are frustrating, defeating, and overwhelming to anyone who is really, really trying to manage the symptoms. They can make a person almost quit their management altogether. Now, of course, that is never advisable. Good management will always allow us to fare better, even when one of those more poignant moments interrupts our lives. Because bad moments come, even with good management, we all need coping mechanisms in our lives. Those small and sometimes larger things we do to cope with the ugliness of the moment that has been thrust upon us. Now, I can't say that my personal coping mechanisms have always been good ones. In fact, I have probably used many poor ones at times. In some senses, we all do. We use the mechanisms that come naturally to who we are, our gender, our beliefs, and our culture. We use what is easy and available and what allows for the best temporary outcomes from the worst of moments. Now, coping mechanisms are generally homegrown, and they often come from what we do more naturally in our lives. While coping naturally occurs when we are faced with the pain and suffering of mental illness, we can actually often deal more wisely with our outbreaks and distress if we plan accordingly. We know that eventually we are likely to have a bad moment in time and an outbreak. It is not if, but when. Allowing our body to choose a solution is generally not wise because the body will tend to use what is easiest and most convenient and may not always consider the long-term consequences of those choices. Without planning ahead and some serious management, one can easily fall into very serious trouble. Drug abuse, people abuse, dependent upon abuse, sexual promiscuity, anger management issues, self-harm, even consistent job losses and work issues, and a host of other serious problems. Even if someone is not prone to some of the more harmful consequences of the illness, consistent outbreaks can cause relationship issues, social concerns, loneliness, loss of friends and family and acquaintances, and a host of spiritual consequences, which often include inactivity and spiritual isolation. Now, when I talk about planning for this eventual episode, I mean you're going to have to make a plan even for failure with your plans. Your plans cannot be complicated or something so far out of your nature that it doesn't make any sense. Understand where you are already. Your body already has plans and coping mechanisms, whether you see them or know them or not, that it has used in the past, and any fallback plan for any planning that does not work is going to be the already established patterns. So you are going to have to deal with changing what you are doing now to cope if it is not healthy for you. It might be that some of your coping mechanisms work and are actually good enough. Not all coping mechanisms need changing, but a hard look at them while you're not in the middle of the emotional fray is important to long-term management of episodes and outbreaks. The first thing anyone can do in strategizing good coping mechanisms 
is first to understand these those signs your body gives when it is headed into an episode. One of my telltale signs was a pain in my chest, just above my sternum and towards my left side. I still get this same pain today, even with moderate depression. Of course, the depressive and anxious thoughts begin, but I've always had a very strong tendency to rationalize those until I'm too far down the road. But I could always tell by that particular pain that I was headed into an episode. Most people have similar symptoms each time they are moving into an episode. And to work with good coping mechanisms, you're going to have to begin to understand those signs. Sometimes it can even be helpful to ask someone who, you know, who knows you well. Often they can give good information about what they see from the outside. Understand that if you are already managing your symptoms through therapy and medication, you may even still have an episode. Many things trigger episodes, and while you do your best to manage those things that you can, life is going to happen. All kinds of things can affect mental illness, including viruses, over-the-counter medications, prescription medications, life changes, simple combinations of bad events, and so forth. If something recently has changed in your life, then your illness is probably going to adjust to it. The other important factor of management is that you are treating symptoms and a chronic illness. Recognize that no symptom of management, no matter how good, especially for mental illness, is perfect and you will, from time to time, have issues. This is especially true when you are establishing management in your life. Don't distress every time you have an episode and give up trying to manage and treat the illness. Episodes are to be expected. It's a chronic illness. Management seeks to reduce frequency and intensity and is not likely to give you a complete cure in any sense of that word. You are going to have to continue to have some mild to moderate symptoms from time to time as you manage through this particularly crazy world we live in. Now, trying to treat every little mild symptom may actually not be the most effective method of treatment as you can actually cause more stress trying to treat and reduce symptoms than the benefit you would receive. The first part of coping with anxiety, depression, and even bipolar is that you're going to need to accept some symptoms from time to time in your life. For me, those symptoms were typically energy loss, feeling tired, and sometimes a lack of desire to go and do an activity. The reality of any outbreak is likely caused by stress on the emotional, mental, or chemical systems in the body. Reducing the stress on your illness at the first signs of a breakout will be actually very important to avoiding a major crash. I can tell you that if you don't recognize the symptoms early, then your body will do the stress reduction for you later when you crash, and that can cause all sorts of major repercussions that we have already discussed. Now, what do I mean by stress reduction? This means you're going to have to reduce the amount of stress you are putting on your emotional, mental, and chemical systems for a time. Now, the best example of this, when I attended college, both for my bachelor's and master's degrees, I had to understand that I was not likely going to be a straight-eight student and that I might get a few poor grades once in a while due to my illness. So I had to learn to be content with a B average, a B plus average, or whatever I could obtain without crashing myself every month. Now, this was actually very difficult for me. I was, and still am by nature, at times more of a perfectionist than I would like to, than I would like to admit. Settling for a lower grade because of a chronic illness didn't sit well with me or even seem reasonable to the perfectionist mind, 
And so with depression often came guilt. Now I'm going to talk just a little bit about guilt management later, but it's important to coping mechanisms that you recognize those things about yourself that might be problematic, like my perfectionist mentality and my guilt. I am not fond of personality tests, but they actually can do a reasonable job of pointing some of these out to you. If you fight your tendencies and do not work with them, you are likely to have greater difficulties keeping your illness under control and far more difficulty with regular outbreaks. Learn and accept who you are as a person. Then work with your quirks rather than fight them. Now, I'm not giving you permission here to go and do anything outside of the gospel boundaries or principles. There's no need to do that. What I am saying is that you are going to have to accept who you are now and not pretend that you are something else. You have to deal with the real you if you want, really want to deal with your mental illness and remain within the bounds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the major difficulties anyone will find with management of anxiety and or depression is management of the guilt when your capacities change. I struggled mightily with this concept and still do at times, even working with it for decades. Depression and anxiety for me felt so much like guilt at times, I really couldn't tell the difference between the two emotions. Somewhere rationally, one has to draw a line in the sand saying, I can only do what I can do. It is enough for the Lord and for me. I can't help today or serve today because I don't have the capacity. It is one of the most difficult lessons of my adult life. I love to say yes, I love to help others, and I love to work and work hard. I love to be with my children at the theme park or the beach, but when my body cannot, then I have to say no. Now, I have some autoimmune illnesses that also affect how I can work, play, and the amount of stamina that I can give to any one project. Along with this comes the pain and the moderate to mild depression I experience. My capacity is limited, but my brain does not register my capacities very well. Guilt does not help any form of mental illness, and for anxiety and depression, guilt is often part of the symptoms of this capacity problem. I find that I have two types of guilt. The first is my own personality and perfectionist, say-yes-always attitude. I will work myself to death, and I love serving in the gospel. So one of my guilts is simply disappointment at myself for not being able to fulfill my own desires. I have found that this actually accounts for the majority of my guilt when I need to say no because of my illness. In fact, probably most all of it. When I have had to say no for my illness' sake, I have rarely, if ever, felt the chastising hand of the Lord, saying, you should have said yes. And I am far harder on myself than the Lord is on me. And that is actually true for most all of us. So I've had to take note of this problem and work with myself to correct it mentally. Can't say that I'm there yet totally, but I do get help from my wife often. She does her best to keep me in line and really has a good sense of what I can do and what I should not be doing. Here is where finding the right balance for your life with a mental illness is probably going to be very difficult and where coping mechanisms, capacities, Rational planning will provide for an overall better quality of life. You have to decide what is enough and what is too much. This will always be the first coping mechanism you will have to use, and you're going to have to manage whatever disappointment and guilt come with it in appropriate ways. I can tell you that if you let the disappointment and guilt seep in, then it will have done you no good to balance your life and priorities, 
because you're going to find yourself back in the mental illness pit of despair. So how is it done? The first thing to understand about coping mechanism is that the more boring your life, often the better your illness can be managed. Okay, boring is probably not the right word. Consistency is probably better, but the more consistent you can make your life, the better the management of the illness will be. Consistency in patterns of work, sleep, food, relationships, and levels of capacity and stress are very helpful to managing the illness and coping with outbursts. Now, how easy this is to do will depend very much on where you are in your life and a variety of other circumstances. For instance, if you're in the college relationship, marriage, having children time frame, and the odds of having a very stable schedule and situation is probably not going to be in your favor. If you are in the career raising children part of life, then it might be easier, and perhaps it might not, I guess. And in the midlife and older life may bring some easiness, but they may also bring other challenges. So in the end, consistency in life is going to be tough just about no matter what portion of life you're in. But there are things you can do, and you should do those things. Consistency in sleep patterns, medication patterns, meaning not constantly trying to adjust your medication to how you feel. Foods, daily routines, exercise, and anything you can get into a time pattern is important. I found that if you establish these routines and stick to them, your outbreaks actually decrease significantly. That will be your first coping mechanism, routines. Now I get it. Routines cannot always be followed. Life happens, as we've discussed. But instead of giving up when you have one of those interruptions, returning to the routines as quickly as possible is incredibly important. I know that this can be very difficult for those who don't like schedules and every day planned out exactly the same. However, routines do not have to be the exact same every day and can vary, but they need to vary in a more consistent way. Keeping each weekday perhaps similar in their own way can actually work as well. From here, you are going to have to decide how to develop those routines and patterns. That is the one thing I can't tell you. Now, I'm going to break real quickly from the depression and anxiety moments for a minute to talk about bipolar and consistent patterns. It is important for the bipolar to keep good routines, and it is going to be, if not one of the most difficult, the most difficult problem of your illness. Depressions make you feel as though you don't want to do anything, and in the highs, you want to do everything. If you give in to the highs and do everything, then the lows are going to be far worse. I've been there and understand that the highs cause issues with sleep, food, activities, and, well, almost every portion of life. But doing your best to keep even a reasonable routine will help out tremendously on the depression side. So if you're asking, uh, yes, I did struggle with this in my bipolar partly because I was starting out my career in life and serving a mission. But at that point, I just didn't know any better. I didn't understand the value of routines. I probably learned far too late that the more consistent I could be, the better I was going to be able to live. Now, I don't know the answer to consistent routines as far as bipolar and as far as your particular situation. But I do know that you can establish at least some of them. And anything you can establish is going to help. Your next coping mechanism is going to come when something out of the ordinary comes into your life. Yes, this is going to happen frequently. Life is going to keep on its steady schedule of interruptions, even when you're trying your best to establish good routines. These types of cascading disruptions caused me many issues and still do, but simply not as frequently. 
I've always had to deal with the anxiety side of the equation when the depression was not as bad. One of my main problems that I had to fix was to expect something to disrupt my life, meaning I wasn't planning for the unexpected. Every time something broke up my plans or routines, it became a roadblock, an emotional brick wall, if you will. Okay, I wasn't jumping up and down and screaming about it, but it did cause me emotional and mental stress. This wasn't easy, but when I made my plans, I always had, I've always have and had in the back of my mind that they were not going to go as I expected, and I'm going to have to adjust. I never knew how they weren't going to, or how they were going to need to adjust, but having the plan for some type of adjustment made the mental and emotional component far less problematic. Doesn't mean I didn't have emotions or mental strain, but the intensity was far less as I reduced the surprise factor. The first coping mechanism after and during the establishment of routines is expect frequent disruptions. Learn to adapt the routines to what happens, but still keep them. Now, this really isn't really changing a routine, but rather just adapting it to current circumstances. Now, sometimes this event is going to be far more eventful, for lack of a better word, meaning the intensity of the occurrence is going to be significant, like a death of a family member, a beloved pet, an angry accusing neighbor, a major car accident, a huge weather event, abuse, and perhaps that list can go on forever. But even with your best efforts, you're, you are descending into an episode because of one of these more eventful happenings in your life. I could almost always tell when it was going to be a bad episode by the level of pain and or anxiety as I descended. When these moments come, and they will for you as they did for me, and still do sometimes, and sometimes they come all at once, you're going to have to use a reduction in stress type of coping mechanism. Here's where it gets harder for me to explain exactly what you need to do. You're going to have to decide what is most important in your life and let everything else go for a time. What, am I, what I am saying is to reduce the taxing nature of life, and this might even mean reducing some of your routines and things that are important but not crucial to your life. If exercise is one of those things you use in your routines, it may be advisable to shorten the duration. I wouldn't recommend entirely quitting exercise, but reducing the duration will allow your body to maintain some energy to manage that new stress. The best way to explain it is that you have a stress level where your body can manage the environmental stress and your illness reasonably well. When something comes along and adds to that environmental stress, you have to reduce other life stresses to allow for the new addition. How you will do this will be determined by your daily activities, your priorities, and really life at the moment. What I can say is this is where now what I can't say is this is where saying I can't and no is most important. And yes, this is where the guilt does come in. Where you were once able to accomplish something you might not be able to do right now. The problem is not you when you do this, when you said no or I can't, other than the guilt, but other people who will not understand why yesterday or last week you could, but today you can't. In canceling things you said that you could do, but now are unable. All I can say is that it isn't easy, and I have failed at it regularly. Until my wife kind of got involved. Now, I'm not saying that you need a parent or a spouse to be your conscience, but it can help to have another person involved. It actually has made a great difference for me. 
Now, I've walked through some of the basic coping mechanisms you're really going to have to use. Now, I know, you were hoping that they would be easy, like, you need to take a vacation and go to the beach every time you have an episode. Yeah, there's a very important concept, though, that I would like to briefly mention that needs further explaining when it comes to coping mechanisms, and that is found in the idea that you are enough for the Lord. There is a tendency within church traditions to believe that you have never done enough. You can always do more, be more, serve more, love more. Now, I believe in obtaining greater capacity. I have no difficulty with stretching a little here and there and seeing what more we can do with our capacities when we are able. But if the Lord wanted us to sprint until we collapsed every day, then he would have said so. But it is interesting that he has not said that, and he gave a caution both in King Benjamin's sermon and to Joseph Smith to not run faster than you have strength. This is the idea of enough and capacity. You can do enough for the Lord each day. We are mortals with weaknesses, and yes, we are going to fall short of perfection. But perfection is not always about more, and more often it is about consistency. Our Father in Heaven is God because He never changes. He is consistent. Sprinting and collapsing just provides very little value to the Lord and seems to reinforce the idea that we will never be enough for Him. I think it's a fallacy in our traditions. You can limit yourself to your capacities and be just as good as a servant, just as good a servant as the person who does not have the limitations. What does this mean regarding mental illness specifically? It means that if you can't teach your Sunday school class or primary class, or if your counselors have to run your organization for a Sunday or two, that you're still enough for the Lord. He gave you the mental illness, and he is teaching you the lessons about it about not running faster than you have strength, and about understanding your capacities. Now, by the way, one of the more difficult lessons in life, at least for me, this is, however, a lesson almost everyone needs to learn and is a doctrinal concept of celestial importance. Allow the Lord to teach it to you. I know that it is difficult to say you can't today, and you worry about what others will think of your limited capacities. I felt the same way. I know that anxiety and depression might bring you some guilt. But remember that the Lord is merciful, and once you learn the lesson, it will become a great strength in your life. The most difficult part is that only the Lord can tell you when you need to go and when you need to stay. And mental illness is going to make that process even more difficult. However, the Lord will guide you and teach you when He really needs you to go rather than to stay. And he knows that you're going to make a few mistakes. The Lord is very merciful and kind. Just listen and do your best, and you will be enough for the Lord. That's all for this week. And may you keep up the fight to invite the Lord to fight in your life.